Hey gang, Ross Brand here for LivestreamUniverse.com. This is Livestream Deals. It's the show where you shop the show, where we connect you with products, services, events, and more for live streamers, content creators. And in fact, today's guest is not only an expert content creator, uh, but she's written a great book, an inspiring book that is going to be wonderful for everybody, whether you're in this whole content writing, marketing, live streaming, podcasting thing, or whether you are uh, just somebody who enjoys reading uh, an inspiring story and a story that develops and just keeps you hooked, keeps you turning the pages. Uh, my guest today is Julia McCoy. She's the CEO of Express Writers. And of course, she is joining us to talk about her new book, her memoir, Woman Rising, A True Story. Julia, welcome to Livestream Deals. Thank you so much, Ross. This is awesome. And I just have to say, I love your backdrop. Oh, thanks. Cool. Yeah, we're using the uh, the <laughs> new green screen feature of uh, StreamYard. And of course, you got a beautiful background there that kind of matches what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> It, right? I think it's, <laughs> yeah, it's almost filling the whole wall there. That's for my book signing event. I normally don't cover my wall. Right. <laughs> my book that I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then in the bedroom, there's nothing but pictures of me. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, my face, let me move over here. See my, my headshot right there? Right, right. My, what's really funny is my five-year-old, the first time she saw this, she ran up to it. She was like, oh, there's mommy's book. And there's mommy. And then she ran up to my headshot and like gave it a kiss. Like, oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> See my picture. Okay, that's cute. <laughs> so congratulations on the book. If anybody um, is at any point looking to grab a copy of the book, you can go to Livestream Deals. Dot com. You can also go to womanrisingproject.org and you can learn about, there it is, there it is. And uh, thank you, Julia, for uh, signing a copy. It's really a, a wonderful book. It's a beautiful book. It's really well written. Um, thank you. So there's so much there. Where do we start? Um, and I guess the first thing that comes to mind is you're doing great. You got a great family, a great business. Why trudge up the past and put it all into a book right now? Yes, yes. Um, great question. <laughs> well, I mean, so, so um, I had the idea to write a memoir, and that's the genre that it is. It's a narrative nonfiction memoir. So I had the idea to do this about three years ago. And I really didn't know why. You know, it, it felt really random at the time. And I'm like, okay, I'm on this path in content marketing. I'm an entrepreneur. I have three brands by now. They're doing really well. So I really felt this strong, I'll call it a calling to write it. And I put it off thinking, uh, I'd rather focus on like my money making avenues. Right, right. <laughs> So I did, I put it off for a whole year and instead I built a course and that's when I published my second book, Practical Content Strategy and Marketing. So I went that route and that whole year writing that book was a daily thought. And three years ago, um, 
someone on Twitter had given me the idea to write the whole book. I started barely talking about my life and yeah, I was a legitimate cult. Yeah. I wore long dresses. I escaped in the middle of the night and I escaped because I had a business that gave me the financial means to get out. And whenever I started barely going there, she's like, you need to write a book about that. And I was like, Oh, and then just like woman rising the whole idea for it hit me right in a minute. I knew the book title. I knew the plot. Yeah, I knew it. So that was over three years ago, but I just tabled it because I'm like, okay, I don't really want to, it felt like I was going to derail my career. So mm-hmm. I put it off, but um, the end of, 2018 was when I decided, okay, I have to do this. I had been connecting with hundreds of survivors of my grandfather's Mm -hmm. side of the cult and learning that this problem of how I grew up, it's, it's a big problem. And I was starting to feel more and more, I'll uh, continue to call it a calling to write this story because I had no idea. And I'm still in shock. How many people have reached out and said, you inspired me to, file a police report. And I would never have done that without reading your book. And I'm like, this is, it feels like meaning has been added to my life in such a big way. And that's rewarding, you know, and that's like going a step beyond making income. And I'm not, not saying we shouldn't make money. No, you should (laughs) do things that make money. Absolutely. Um, But whenever you can find something that adds meaning to your life, it opens up your life in a big way. And that's, that's what this book has done. Writing this book has just added so much meaning to everything I do. There's a bigger story here. I escaped the cult and I've lived to tell the story and I've healed run businesses that I love, have a family. So I feel like there's potentially thousands of people out there that need to hear that story just for their own personal Mm -hmm. inspiration. Were you scared at all of any type of repercussions? Um, either from your parents or from other members of the cult, um, or or do you feel like you're you're not on, on their radar anymore? It's it's definitely um, the nature of their beliefs is whenever you choose to leave, and that means like not wear their dresses, not adhere to their dress code. When you just choose to drop those rules, you're cut off. So they Mm kind of turn their head. They don't watch you. They don't want to know what you're up to. And it's kind of like part of their creed to not look at what you're doing. So I would be surprised though, if they haven't at least heard of the book, Mm -hmm. but I don't think that I mean, you never say never. And I definitely have had people that are like, okay, here's how to prepare for worst case scenario. Because I have friends who have put their parents in jail. They've stood up in court and been a witness to crimes. So I have a lot of friends in my court that have been through this at an even deeper level. So I'm, I'm definitely getting some good advice from good mentors on here's how to prepare if the worst was to happen because you are exposing a cult. Yeah. But I'm, I would say I'm not afraid. You know, it's more like I have to tell this story. So I I imagine that it was really hard to write the part about growing up in the cult. And I, I got to admit, it wasn't easy to read those stories. It was it, it was very uncomfortable to read and painful. And um, yeah. can you give people kind of of that portion of the book a quick overview of what life was like growing up? 
in a extreme religious cult with parents who were very much committed to living that life or even more severely in the home. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, it's it isn't easy. I mean, I lived it for 21 years and um, before I started writing this book, I was reading other memoirs to see how that side of things are presented. Um, and I had Harper Collins, I was approaching them. I had their agent tell me this is too polarizing, really? but I'll tell you one of my good friends in this genre, she's written a book called spilled milk and it has been the number one bestseller on Amazon in its category for five years running. And she was told the same thing. And what her book has done has actually brought her to the Pentagon to speak wow. to law enforcement to make a difference. And that's why I decided to put the pain and the trauma and the terror of a child living in that house. That was me. I decided to put that in the book because if I'm going to make a difference, you know, I might as well put all my feet in (laughs) and write the story of what happened. So like you said, part one is um, life in a cult in the book and it encompasses a little more than half of the book. And then part two is the making of success, how I escaped, built businesses, had a family. So part one definitely is a lot of trauma, you know, trigger warning. If you're affected by that, it is a hard read because it's brutally honest and it's, it's what happened. And there were physical, mental, financial and psychological and sexual abuses going on. Wow. Now, your book says published by the Woman Rising Project. Does that mean that you published it yourself? Yes. And how I've done that, and this has been a project almost three years in the making. So this is unlike any other entrepreneurial thing I've done because it's just, it's wholly different, different genre, different project. So what I decided to do after getting some uh, legal advice on how to position this, protect my family, what I've built was make the publisher an entity. So I decided to start a new entity and I decided to make it a 501c3 nonprofit so that we can receive funds, book sales, donations, um, purchases of clothing with statements on it. All that will come later on the womanrisingproject.org. So we can take those funds and then do things that matter with it. And that's something that is really closely tied to why I want to publish this book is create a platform for one where survivors have a voice because this cult is still active that I left. My grandfather's side of it has hundreds of people that have left and Mm -hmm they really don't have a voice. They don't have a platform. So I want to change that with the nonprofit. And you can see the logo. Right. That's the logo. Yeah. (laughs) One way or the other, you can see the logo. It's womanrisingproject.org, womanrisingproject.org. You can find out more about it. You can purchase the book there. You can also go to livestreamdeals.com, click the image of the book. That'll take you through to get a copy. And of course, with your copy of the book, you're supporting womanrisingproject.org and helping other survivors. Now, you know, we live, I guess, in times where being uh, able to say you were a victim of something, that you've overcome something, just watch, watch any presidential debate and mm-hmm. see the lengths that the candidates go to either 
invent or enhance an upbringing that was probably pretty solid and they were all taken cared for, but everyone grew up poor and had to work 17 jobs and everything. Um, do you get up? Uh, do you, um, did you, were you concerned at all that like by putting this out there, people would say, ah, she's just grabbing for a headline or she's trying to use this to advance her, her career because, and I say this like, I've I followed your work and I I've never once sensed that you were ever trying to use anything other than your hard work and your talent to advance your career and you can't say a lot about a lot of people in in the culture today. Really? Um, so does it one does it upset you when you see people who have had basically everything given to them and yet finding a way to claim to be a victim or claiming to be a victim because they had the smallest hardship out of an otherwise good life. And do you, are you concerned, were you concerned at all that by putting your story out there, people might think, well, what does she need to do that? She's already making it as a CEO and a businesswoman and has plenty of opportunities. Why, why is she doing this? Hmm. Yes. Well, to the second, uh, let's see. Well, let's, let's go to the first point. Yeah. So I think um, you're, you're so right about the culture and especially in the news and these fake news headlines. And it's such a big problem. Clickbait techniques right. are being used in the presidential debates. Oh, let's see who has the most drama. Let's pick it apart. <laughs> so it's definitely a problem. Yes. And I would say that, you know, I've, I don't really look at all that too much, study it too much because I'm so laser focused in accomplishing my goals. And that's, that's always been my perspective. You know, I kind of just drown out the noise, go in a hermit hole. That's my creation perspective. But for people who are blowing out of proportion, something that didn't, wasn't really abuse, you know, those people need to be very careful because what they're doing is they're, almost putting a muzzle on the people that have been a real victim because they're adding to the noise, something that isn't true. And they're drowning out the voices of real victims where we have real problems in society today where law enforcement is looking the other way. And sometimes it's tied to politics. It's tied to money and real issues are not being addressed. Like my dad is still out there. I have two little siblings in this that are underage and I can't get the policeman in his house, but I know what he did. And my book is partially written because of that. I've been stifled by our law enforcement. Yeah. You mentioned in, in the book that um, you, you contacted CPS, I believe. And they said, Hey, it's yeah. it's beyond a two year window and nobody's actually seeing what's going on. So, I, I mean, it must be frustrating not only to hear that, but to know that there must be law enforcement and people of stature in the communities nearby that could do something. And, hey, they've got business interests or they don't want to make trouble or, hey, yeah. it's all rumors and hearsay or Look, it'll just give us a bad eye if we, you know, black eye if we say something. I don't know what holds people back, but clearly you've laid it out there where nobody could go. Yeah, this this is pretty normal. And uh, because what reason you've already made an amazing transformation and successful. but You have no reason to write this book other than to put the truth out there for other people who may either be suffering or may be able to intervene in some way. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And that's my hope. That's, that's really, that was, that would be my answer to the second question. You know, are you doing this for headlines? And what's funny is my husband is like, he's always the guy that's like pointing out the really obvious things in the room. Like, thanks, Captain Obvious. Right. So he asked me that he's like, you know, this could be taken this way as a headline angle. And what are you ready to say for that? And um, what's interesting is the messages I've had, and I've had hundreds of messages on launch week, have been, um, especially from women coming forward, sharing what happened in their childhood, and how they were victims of abuse in a religious environment. And after they read the book, they were motivated to take more action in their own abuse cases, or um, speak out and sh- just share their story. And that's where it starts. You know, we don't have to, I'm not saying, you know, healing is a long journey. You don't have to go straight to the cops, right? especially when they are not ready to listen. It's just sharing your story. That's the first step. So for anyone who thinks this is a headline technique, I mean, I've kind of like put horse blinds on, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the old like 1800s, horse blinds they put on horses to look straight ahead so they saw their path and that's just how i've approached this like i am not going to listen to any of that it's a distraction and if they want to think it's a clickbait technique they can they have that right Right. but that's not what it is and if they read the book i think that gets clear i invested you know two and a half years of my life into this not for a clickbait technique (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i mean it's very touching reading about uh, how you experience the outside world because that was new how you met your husband and got acclimated to an entirely different life how you started r- running your business without having to do a schedule that was insane on other mm-hmm. things and live in fear and tasting that freedom and learning to adapt to your surroundings I guess I, you know, it makes me wonder what what were the internal resources that you were able to pull on. Um, it's you know, people talk about healing, they talk about change. Um, these are things that are really difficult for most people, and even for you know, for people who haven't dealt with a a thirtieth of what you've dealt with. How were you able to pull yourself together, face this, and actually build what? looks to be an extremely stable, calm, normal, healthy life with good relationships, a good work environment. Like how did, what did you find inside of you that enabled you to do that? Yes. I've gotten that question from several other people. I think it's a really good question. You know, and you're right. Not a lot of survivors are able to experience healing like this. And someone told me it's a Cinderella story and it's someone unbelievable because of how many victims don't make their way back. And my sister's one of them. She's actually in a really tough place. She's in and out of marriages, um, jobs, uh, finances. So she hasn't even found the same healing and we're from the same parents. Mm. So it's it's a struggle, big struggle. And I would say it's really come down to three things for me. For one, um, getting completely out of the toxic environment, making a clean break and entering a new state with new scenery around me, new everything, and then new people in my life. So everyone I knew back then, as well as the setting 
I cut off and I just made this clean break, moved five states away and luckily had one person. And right. that's all you need. You need one person in your corner. And if that's all you have and you cut out everyone else, what that does is that stops the voices that are pushing trauma into your life. You have to get those voices out at all costs. And, you know, they say family is everything. Family is blood. No, I'm here to say if they're toxic, they're bad for you. (laughs) And that's bad blood. And you don't need that. So cut out all the voices that are speaking trauma, any abuse form into your life. And it could be, you know, just emotional abuse. And I, I hate that word just because it's still abuse, Hmm. no matter whether it's one form or another, if someone is being brutal in any way, that's someone to cut out. And the new environment you want to have are people that are fully for you and do not put conditions on loving you. So that's what I had with Josh. And he was the only person I knew in Springfield, Missouri. I didn't know anyone else. And I was like, Oh, I wish I had more friends to text and I don't, I only have one person. So that for six months, I only had one person in my life, but that was my best start to a new and healthy life. And then from there, it's been a journey of finding routines that work for me mm-hmm. that um, help my mental state get clear and calm. My mental state was not for a long time. I was triggered by anything, right. terrible panic attacks. So I have morning routines that I put in place and no matter what interrupts me, I make sure I have those routines and that could be journaling, meditation, prayer. And then the third thing for me has just been finding new faith has been huge. Mm. Um, You know, having something that I can fall back on that gives me a greater meaning. And that's done a lot for me. That sounds great. I mean, one of the things that I I guess uh, really struck me was that When you said you only had one person, this was somebody that you had never met before. How how did you and and Josh connect? And then how did you find the ability to sort of trust somebody that you hadn't actually met in person? And then you layer on the fact that you're sort of moving towards a romantic relationship at the same time. Most people would say, well, that's all going far too far too fast but in reading the book it all sort of fits it all sort of worked just right and you know i mean like obviously you two were meant for each other because it came together it it couldn't have come together in a more perfect way really for both of you at least from the impression that i got from the book yes 100 percent. and it's not like life is perfect right like we're still fighting about you know who what um, genre of dinner <laughs> we still have fights. So, but you're right. Like overall in life, we couldn't have been a more perfect partnership because not only are we married, have a beautiful kid together. It's been so much for my healing journey. Um, but we've also partnered on building businesses together and his skill sets incidentally were web design, web development and minor content creation. So imagine those two together, a uh, dynamite. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> So you're right, like it could have been terrible because whenever I moved down there, for those that haven't read the book, not to give too much away, but whenever I made this clean break and moved straight to Springfield, Missouri, um, I hadn't met him IRL in real life. So we had just talked online through Skype. So here's, you know, to me, 
in life, I've always acted based on one thing. And I just, I don't know. It's almost like I was born with this. I take immediate action and I don't second guess it. Mm -hmm. And from the conversations I've had, that's one of the biggest um, weaknesses of society because of the way we are trained. We're kind of conditioned second guess. Is this going to fit the mold? Is this going to be what others want me to do? Whether it's, you know, if you're an employee, this is how you're trained. If you're in school, this is how you get trained. So the difference for me was, I always act based on gut instinct and, you know, we all have that inside of us. And that's one thing I want to share in my book, open up people's eyes to the fact that we all have this power within us. That's called gut instinct. And I believe if we follow it, amazing things will happen. And it's second guessing our actions on gut instinct. That is what kills success. Yeah, and I think we have more information than ever, more analytics, more data, Mm -hmm. all that stuff. And I think, you know, the genius isn't really always following that. It's knowing when the time comes, right, where you say, forget that. I'm going to trust myself because I can't live with myself if I don't take this path. Like uh, most people, Mm -hmm. you know, would have said, Oh, don't go meet somebody you hadn't met in person. They would have said, oh, it's too soon to get into a relationship. You haven't healed from your your family. They might have even said, you know, don't run away. They'll come after you. It'll make things worse. What? Yeah. I, but but you, took, you took decisive action several times, as, as you see throughout the book. Um, talk about that in a business context, um, building express writers as the CEO, having several different brands. Um, the latest, I believe the contact content hacker, right? Yes. So tell, tell us about how you got started uh, with your parents in your parents' home before you even moved out and, Mm. and then how you scaled that business um, once you had your freedom and you had your own place and your own space. Yes, that definitely played into um, building businesses, how I left and what inspired that. So a lot of um, just what I was saying, gut instinct is really something we all have. I really truly believe that. And if we follow it without second guessing it, amazing things can happen. So for me, Um, I was following the wrong instincts at 19 years old. I thought that I wanted to be a nurse and I translated this idea that, oh, I want to help people. That was okay. That's what I want to do. Well, how does that translate to a career? I didn't really know at 19. So I just kind of went for mm, nursing. (laughs) That's helping people. So halfway through college, um, my parents let me go to college for that degree. Um, Halfway through that, I realized I, number one, I'd be terrible at it. I don't think well on my feet. So should probably shouldn't be a nurse. Um, people's lives are in your hands. It takes a special person right. to be a nurse. It really does. And then two, um, it wasn't something I would love doing the rest of my life. So I knew that halfway through. So one morning I, I just woke up and I described this in the book, kind of like a light bulb moment. And these occur from the conversations I've had, these occur in lo- in our lives. And sometimes it can be super random. So morning, one morning I woke up, light bulb moment. Why don't I try to do something I love and figure out how to make money doing that? So, okay, 
that led me to what do I love writing? I knew I loved to write. I've been writing ever since I could pick up a pen. I wrote a 200 page book when I was 12 on a medieval story based on King Richard, the Lionheart's life. Um, so I knew I loved to write and that was also something hand in hand with that. That was also something I got the highest grades in growing up. So, you know, something you love combined with, this is something you're good at. So, then I went to the internet, how to make money writing. And that this is 2011 discovered um, what is now Upwork was Odesk back then. So I discovered Odesk and found out there was a whole category called writing and editing gigs. And I saw over 40,000 jobs listed like at the top in italics in a little font. I was like 40,000 gigs. And that's when I realized this is a whole thing. I could make money doing this. So I built a profile on Upwork and well, back then it was Odesk. And within one day I had my first paying gig and it was paid it was paying, uh, I think, a dollar per 500 words, which is, you know, abysmal. <laughs> that's, today. A, that's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> For pennies, yes. <laughs> today, 500 words is like a full blog post, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anything more yeah. than that, you're not going to get three-minute read over it. Or <laughs> 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 yeah. So back then, it was it was different, 2011. Mm. And um, I was on the cheapest platform, but I was like, oh, this is how I can make money. So mm -hmm. I was thrilled and I didn't have experience. So it was really good. It was a great training ground. I don't, you know, I don't regret a moment of that. Right. So that was how I honed my early writing skills. And from there, it was just continuing to take decisive action. Once I had found something that I both love to do and secondarily was actually good at doing. And those things are important, you know, because mm -hmm. you can love to do something, but if you're not good at it, it's a lot harder to make a lifelong legacy slash business slash income right. out of it. Yeah. Now, did you find that your love of writing maintained itself as you made that your profession or did you find that there were struggles there were times where you didn't really like writing but you had to make a living or you were happy to just pass it off to other people as your team grew how how do you feel obviously devoting two and a half years as you mentioned to writing a book you probably like it enough or at least like the outcome enough right there are times you probably like what am i doing when you write a book but in general like what are your feelings about writing now that it once it became a profession from being sort of an escape at, at times yes well for me and I don't know how true this would be for others. So it, it might be a bit unrelatable. But for me growing up in that environment of a lot of abuse and control manipulation, um, with a really narcissistic father, um, writing was an outlet. So it was something that was like creating my own fairyland, I could make up a plot, a story, be my own hero, whatever I was on paper, that was like my alternate reality. So I love to write in that environment. And I've, I've heard other um, psychologists, I've heard a lot of um, opinions on this. And it's the same. They've told me that in an environment of extreme trauma, the outcome is usually in favor of your skill sets, right. because your skill sets become your only outlet for happiness. 
So strangely enough, it really shaped some amazing skills. And whenever I left that environment, what I found was that my love of writing continued to grow and grow. And like today, I would describe it as a kid getting to play in a sandbox on a hot summer day, like just absolute delight whenever I have a dock up coffee on my desk and I just get to write. Those are my favorite days in the world. (laughs) So I've continued to love it. And what helps is having a really good routine. Like routine is everything for me. And I have windows of time blocked out on um, days, specific days and specific weeks where even my team knows Julia will be writing. (laughs) So that has helped a lot differentiate Um, what I love to do, which corresponds directly to income, books and all of that grow your brand tremendously. So I make time whatever happens for that on top of running my businesses. And my team knows that respects that we have blocked times where we do nothing but write. And I lead a team of writers. So it's (laughs) easy for them to relate to that. Definitely, definitely. Um, Now you you mentioned when you started uh, accepting payments, you read a about how to make money writing. Obviously, to scale a business to multi-million dollar level, you've got to learn about business as well. In the beginning, you struggled with taxes and all mm-hmm. the things you have to do uh, when you run a business. H- how did you learn about not so much the you know taxes and the nuts and bolts things, but what it takes to grow, what it takes to market, what it takes to reach new customers and new audiences and hire people, like all the things that go with growing a business. Did you take courses? Did you read about it? Or did you kind of kind of learn it as you needed it on your own using using Google? <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say... Um, everything was happening so fast Mm -hmm. with growth and next steps. And it was just like, it was my favorite thing to do. Like I'm, (laughs) I'm out of a cult. I get to work on business. Right. Right. (laughs) How crazy is that? Right. But that was my mindset. So it was really, really, really easy for me to like spend 12 hours at the desk and do nothing but apply to like as many writing gigs as I could find and then go and post my own jobs to find writers. So I had this um, natural affinity for the internet and using different platforms and tools like all that came naturally to me. At seven years old, we got our first computer, it was donated from a church friend. And it was, you know, Windows 98, it was a bear of a computer. But at seven years old, I was like entranced with the idea that we could hook up to the internet and see right. like news load live. <laughs> it loaded at, you know, five minutes, but it loaded. <laughs> so back then that's when I realized, Oh, this is, this is really cool. And this is something that I think I can use. And I didn't really didn't know how, but um, leading to where we're at today, it's just been a process of everything was scaling really fast and I had to learn how to do it or, it would be a failure. So how I learned was just hands on actually doing it. And a lot of things I didn't do right. As you'll read in the book, there's a chapter called catastrophe. (laughs) (laughs) So um, a lot of the failures that I had came down to trusting the wrong people. When you grow a business, you have to outsource or not outsource the word would be delegate, you have to hire 
team members that you're going to trust with tasks. And those tasks directly relate to your revenue, what you sell, your name. So the downside of that, and Mm -hmm. that is still a struggle for me today as a writer and a creative being a CEO, the, the downside of that is if you trust the wrong person, they can tank clients income and so many things right so that's why i talk to people today and i'm like if you can stay one two three four five people do that don't try to be 70 because in the end you might make just as much money with only four people on your team or just you utilizing your skill sets and avoid all the headaches that you really do have to go through when you have a big team. Not that a big team can't be a good thing. It definitely can. We have some amazing talent that I'm super honored to work with, but at the same time, the trial and error process of learning how to build that team was not easy. Well, I'll just put it that way. You can read that chapter. (laughs) We're talking with Julia McCoy. She's the author of Woman Rising, A True Story. It's her memoir. She talks about overcoming an abusive childhood in a religious cult and then going on to escape from that, meet her husband, start a family, grow her business. She's now a successful CEO of a multi-million dollar company. And you're still in your 20s, right? I mean, you did this all uh, in a relatively compressed period of time from when you escaped to where we are now it's true it's true i'm 29 yeah yeah i escaped at um 21 years old so it's been it's crazy it feels like the last um eight years have really been more like 10 or 15 because when i look back it's just so much was packed into one year and i think a lot of that comes down to the aggressive i'll call it aggressive excitement of someone, you know, entering normal life, having something in my hand that I love to do and could actually make money at. Huh, hello, exciting. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just a pursuit. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to try to make a million dollars by the time I'm 28. It was, in fact, the opposite. Like money has never been my focus. And I would say, actually, the times it has been my focus is when I've been the least happy. So it's a side effect of doing what you love and pursue that, make that first follow gut instinct and look out world. Keep rising. Yeah. (laughs) All the good stuff. Yeah. Now, as as CEO of Express Writers and and your new brand, the the content hacker, right? I I always content hacking, hacking. <laughs> I was like, got to put it to the content hacker. It's a great, great name. Great, great uh, oh, brand you. to have. Uh, what Many of our, our viewers and listeners are live streamers and podcasters and bloggers and content creators. What advice can you give to people who are in the content mix? They're creating content. Maybe they're not getting the results they want, or maybe they're getting about what they got last year, but they want to grow. What are some things that you would say for 2020 and beyond they should be focused on as far as content creation and content marketing goes? Yes. Great question. Well, I think um, this year and especially going forward, the, the downside of content creation and what we do as marketers putting content out for an audience, the downside is we have so many tools, platforms, formats, right. 
that it's overwhelming and the the danger of all of those options that just is crazy how much we can do and and how many things we can be doing at once the downside of that is that no one is focusing and mastering and mastery in content is where success really lies so my advice would be pick one or two formats, whether that's live streaming, like you do so well, Ross, these tools, you know, I had no idea you could do a green screen. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. New StreamYard feature. It makes it so easy. And you knew that because you're, you know, your focus is live streaming. So that is a side effect of focusing on one or two or three at the most formats as well as platforms so for me my number one focus has always been blogging eight years we've done over a thousand blogs on our agency blog and today what that's built is an audience of over a hundred thousand people every month organically we wouldn't have that if i was jumping around to a whole bunch of formats (laughs) trying this trying that it's commitment and mastery And um, what we have today is not just a high amount of visitors, but we have this, um, I'll call it brand respect, where when people interact with my blog, they know they're not going to read, get, receive a low quality experience. They're going to get really practical, high quality stuff because that's been my commitment. And that's what they heard from the people that read my blog that sent them there or a tweet, right? So many good things happen that you can't really put into a list of KPIs at the beginning. So forget the KPIs and all the distractions of tools, formats, what you should or shouldn't be doing. Pick one thing that you think you'd really love doing and focus on mastering that and treat it like an art, That's where success really happens. Like, how can I make this the most artistic, the most amazing experience for my listeners, my readers, my viewers? Focus on that. Forget the noise. And you'll see a lot of success in 2020. That's truly great advice because a a lot of people feel, and I get caught up in it too, that you, you live stream then you've got to have a YouTube video. You've got to have a podcast. You've got to have a blog post to go with it. You've got to send an email. You've got to, and before you know, you got to cut up clips. You've got to promote. Maybe you need to learn about advertising. You know, before you're done, you know, you've done so much work and you don't even know what the value is. Whereas like whether there's a million people or one other person watching what we're doing here, I can use this to do more live streams from, right? To grow and develop as a live streamer. But I have to look at the other aspects from, from what you're saying. I have to look at the other things that I'm doing in between live streams and figure out if they're actually helping me to do more live streaming or they're actually just taking my time away from what I enjoy doing and, and have kind of gotten known for doing. Yes, 100%. I mean, that's, that's my point in a nutshell. Yeah, what you want to be known for versus the distractions. And that's a good takeaway. We could like tweet that. Yeah. <laughs> you can't be everywhere and everything for, for everybody. Do yeah. you notice with blogging that there are certain types of blogs that get the most response and other mm. types? Because a lot of people who are live stream and podcast, a lot of their blog posts are generally... Here's the live stream, and this is what we talked about. Here's the podcast. This is our guest. Here's some links. Um, 
And so if people who are doing that want to delve a little deeper into blogging and do some content that isn't necessarily a post-audio-video creation blog, but actually more about the blog itself first, what would you recommend that they look to do? Yes. I would say, um, thinking back to my first years of blogging with that content-first focus, you know, um, being stuck in a hamster wheel of just creating and not seeing a lot of success versus today, really being able to map the new content we do to a lot of success and growth. The difference there is the ideation and the strategy and research phase, what you do before you write, basically. Mm. So that's research. And a lot of times it's really tempting to just skip over that and jump into creation because then you can make something tangible that you can publish tomorrow. But the downside of skipping the, the ideation phase is that you could be publishing something that just adds to the noise instead Mm. of grows your brand. So strategy is so critical. So your topics and your keywords is that mapped to number one, your audience's pain points. And then number two, is it actually, do you know your competition numbers? So when it comes to blogging, that's, that's our focus. And that's what we do for our clients also at Express Writers. That works really well. We look at their niche. If they hire us to do content strategy, we look at their niche, we look at opportunities for keywords, and we say, oh, here's a five word phrase that your competitors have not cornered yet. Right. You could potentially, you know, rank in the top three or five of Google. So once you have the topic, the keyword down, then it comes to creation. And there's a lot of debate on this. There's a lot of, you know, he said, she said, they said. <laughs> but if you look at the studies and you ignore people's opinions, the studies show that long form content, it lowers bounce rate. It keeps people on your site longer because they're getting all their answers in this one awesome scrollable piece of content. And then number two, that's the type of content Google likes better. It's it mostly for the first reason it keeps people in one spot longer so um that type of content is what i would really advise you to create if your goal is more traffic and growth once you have those topics and keywords so on average we're doing 1500 to 2000 words minimum and that might sound like a lot it is it's definitely not um an easy blog and that's why even i Um, rely on a lot of ghostwriters to create my blog content because that you should be in the strategy. You should never not be in the strategy. You know, you should be, you should know what you're publishing at all times, but the meat of it, you know, don't hesitate to get a writer involved in the heavy lifting and your content will actually come out better that way. Most of the times. And on the reverse side, if you're somebody who likes to write, can you outsource the some of the strategy and the keywords and that side of it and then do your own writing? Or once you outsource that strategy part, um, maybe it's best to let somebody who's experienced in crafting a message that follows the strategy, which is, as you're saying, what ideally you would do. But of course, as creators... We get something in our head and it's like, 
let's get that down on let's let's write about that and that's you know hey this is good and of course what works for drawing eyeballs to a website isn't the same thing that works for getting a good review in uh, the local newspaper or whatever mm-hmm. as as a writer and i mean that's what i love this book is so well written by the way oh, um we're you. talking with julia mccoy woman rising a true story is the book and um the question so the question was Outsource the whole thing or just the parts that aren't your your strength? Mm, great question. I would say base it on uh, the time and margin you want to have. Because that's mm-hmm. that's the bigger thing here, like the underlying, the belly of the beast, so to speak, right. <laughs> under the in the iceberg. So the thing is, you could really enjoy writing. You could enjoy strategy. But if you're a business owner... And you have other priorities that matter to closing up a day of work, for example, you don't want to add to that day by saying, oh, I like this, so I'll do it. (laughs) So guide that by the bigger question of what do I have the time and margin to commit to? Because that's like going back to part of the reason I wrote the book, you know, we as creators, it's really easy not to have space and margin for ourselves, but we right. need that to create better things. So <laughs> it's domino effect. You know, the more we try to work at something to make it better, we might be spinning our wheels. So it's really important, no matter what part you enjoy, um, think first about the margin you want to have and then the budget, right? Because it does come down to how much budget do you have? And then how much are you willing to spend to invest to get content created? And sometimes research and strategy, depending on who you hire, sometimes that can be more expensive than the actual writing. (laughs) Writers, it's not. (laughs) But I've heard that it can be uh, reversed like that if you hire a high-level strategist. So for us, um, kind of strategy starts at like $150 just for a whole session planned out. So it's not that bad. So think about your budget and then your margin and time and what kind of goals you want to accomplish. If your goal really is growth through content, think about a writer that can pick up the heavy lifting and create that blog every week. So that way you're growing your content. So without consistency or you're growing your brand without Mm -hmm. consistency through content, your brand just, it won't grow. So that's really critical. So what's next for you? Are you planning another book? I know you're committed to the Woman Rising Project, and you can find out more about that, womanrisingproject.org. You can also find the book at livestreamdeals.com. Normally, we have three or four guests during an, art, during an hour, but this is such a phenomenal book and story that we did the whole hour with just Julia. So if you need a green screen... There's one featured at Livestream Deals. If you're looking at some events coming up, we've got them. But uh, our focus is with uh, Julia and the WomanRisingProject.org. And, of course, the book, Woman Rising, A True Story. And more books, uh, in addition to running your business and now a nonprofit, Will we? Will you be writing more books, or do you have some other project in terms of content creation in mind where you're focusing uh, as you scratch that itch, so to speak? Yes. Well, um, 
yeah, I've dropped some things that I've said no to some things so I can say yes to the things that I feel really matter to not only um, my goals as what I want to do, but also what I enjoy to do and the margin I want to have. So that meant that I had to put my podcast on hiatus drop my video creation down to one a month, but that gives me room to write and create, which is, it's like we talked about earlier, Ross, like playing in the sandbox, a kid in a sandbox. (laughs) That's how I would describe it. So for me, what keeps me up at night is, you know, what I, the difference I want to make in both my industry and with this book. So in my industry, and I really have the chance to see the issues through um, what I do at Express Writers, we interview and hire hundreds of people per month to find really the cream of the crop with our writing um, team. So I interview so many new writers that are coming in, and a lot of them are fresh out of journalism school, um, college, they have a degree in communications. So the struggle is um, what they think good writing is, Uh, is writing techniques they learn in college that don't work to pull in the online reader. So that is a huge, massive problem. So I've already started a book, (laughs) my uh, fourth book, and I have the idea for a number of other books. So what I've done is I have a good process. So I have my ideas outlined, mapped out my book titles, and then I approach each project individually, you know, with a laser focus. So I get them all done because it's me writing these books. So um, my next book, which I've already, yes, I will admit I've started. You heard it first here. (laughs) I was telling my husband about it and and I couldn't remember which number. And he's like, just say the next book. (laughs) (laughs) This one is really meant for um, either college students or even older people. Cause I really have a mix of two. It's, it's really funny in my courses, I get either like brand new college students or I get people in their 50s, 60s. I have some people in their 70s mm-hmm. that are retired and their minds are still going and they want to learn these new skills right, right. of content creation and marketing. And I, it's so rewarding to help them. And, you know, I know so much, so I kind of want to just share more brain cells. Right. So my next book is a book. Um, I already know the title, so I'll go ahead and share that. Uh, The title is going to be Skip the Degree, and it's going to teach how to learn a skill from A to Z that makes you money. So that will be what I'm teaching in this book. And it won't just be for how to learn to write and make money. It'll be for people to basically do what I did, which is tap into something I loved and was good at and then turned into a business. Wow, this is great. Hurry up with that. That's really good. That's really helpful to a lot of to a lot of people. This stuff keeps me up at night, so I can't I can't not do it. <laughs> Let me bring in a quick question. And Anita Sonia asks, "How do you make a sharp call to action on on your blog?" Great question. For us, uh, we've we've tested this, Anita, in several ways, and what we found works the best is making our CTA um, first extremely relevant to the blog topic. So for example, at Express Writers, we do 
offer a wide variety of content services. So our blog topics pull in people that want those services. And then we have a CTA talking about that specific service. So um, a blog could be how to write a video script for your next YouTube video. The CTA will be our video script writing service. And then how it's actually done, the nuts and bolts here, we have a graphic created that represents the product in a pretty visual way. It's like a long square graphic. So it's a recommended CTA size for the end of your blog. Um, you want it more um, horizontal than vertical. So it kind of looks like a big banner. So that gets embedded at the end of our blog post. We never put it above the fold. I've tested that don't do it. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> don't take off your readers. <laughs> Keep it at the bottom of your blog and you'll see a lot more success. Because if you're giving people valuable content and then you're asking, you know, Gary V calls that jab, jab, right hook. Um, if you're asking at the end, here's my service, here's where to go to book a call with me, book a demo, whatever it is that sells them on what you do. If you wait till the end of the blog to do that, you'll have a much higher success rate of people actually doing it. Because first, they want you to kind of help them. They don't want you to sell them. So never, I would say never reverse that. Hopefully, mm -hmm. that's helpful. That's great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Anita, for the question. Woman Rising is the book. Go get it. This is a phenomenal book. It's really well written. It's a great story. It's inspiring. And um, wow. I mean, this is a, an entire hour flew by. Julia, thank you so much for joining us. Julia McCoy is the CEO of Express Writers, the author of A Woman Rising, A True Story. And you can get the book at LivestreamDeals.com. Also check out womanrisingproject.org uh, wherever you get the book I believe uh, or or is it only through Amazon uh, part of the proceeds go to uh, support the project and yep. support helping people who've been inside some of the same experiences that, that you went through. Yes, however you get it. And just yesterday we launched a um, my limited edition hardbacks which have been a bear to get right the this is what they look like the font oh, no. and the spine which looks really pretty now was all wrong for weeks and weeks so back and forth with the publisher ingram spark but that's finally right so yesterday we launched on the woman rising project site a way to get a signed hardback copy because they're not available on Amazon and I've contacted Amazon contacted the provider and it's just a waiting game. So I have a lot of people that want the hardback. So that's how to get that. But yes, as for your other question, a hundred percent of however you buy it, cause it's all hooked up of course to um, revenue that goes to us. That's going to help me build a platform for more survivors to have a voice for these stories to be shared and then actions to happen from those stories where, you know, we can reach, we can, oh, I have big dreams. We right. can, it would be nice to get new laws passed where law enforcement doesn't look the other way in these scenarios right. and abuse is stopped sooner rather than later. Yeah. So your proceeds go right to that. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's wonderful to have you on the show and look forward to having you back again to talk about your next project whenever that comes around. 
And uh, thank you so much, Julia McCoy, again, the author of Woman Rising, A True Story. It's really, truly a phenomenal book, and I highly recommend you pick it up, livestreamdeals.com. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We'll be back again with another episode of Livestream Deals in a few weeks. Stay tuned for more information on that, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care, everybody.